0: It's the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Let's go! Let's go! Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show. On the World Wide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey.
1: Good Thursday morning, and welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you here for the next two hours. We roll along till 11 a.m. Eastern. We have a very, very jam-packed show for you here for the next two hours. It is Week, eight, uh, week 18 in the NFL. It is the final regular season week. But the off the field drama remains to dominate the storylines. We'll start with Antonio Brown here in just a second. Last night I thought was very interesting what his lawyer put out, what Antonio Brown is claiming, what the Buccaneers are claiming. And more and more drama has continued to build this morning on social media. If you've seen what Antonio Brown has been posting. It is, I will say, very on-brand for Antonio Browns. We'll get to that in a second. Kyrie Irving makes his return for the Nets. We'll discuss that. Of course, Hickey's Pickies, a Thursday specialty. We'll do so in an hour 20 from now. Jay Berman will join us. And we'll kind of preview the NFL hot seat. Um, Say which coaches should be back in 2022. Which coaches should be fired? As a reminder, we're coming to you live, as you always are, from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios. Now, whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners, make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. All right, Antonio Brown has spoken out yet again. His lawyer put out a very, very, very lengthy statement to Adam Schefter, to Ian Rappaport last night. We'll we'll tell you those details in a second here. But concerning the entire uh, Antonio Brown Buccaneer situation, I will say this, whether he was cut wrongly, whether he was cut rightly, Antonio Brown's entire situation may actually be right in a sense, but in totality, he's still wrong. Here's what I mean by that. So in case you didn't, you know, you didn't see Antonio Brown's lengthy statement last night, you know, the classic TLDR, too long, didn't read because, boy, it was a lengthy one. Here's basically the summary of what was said last night from Antonio Brown from his learn. Antonio Brown claims that on Sunday, he had a very severe ankle injury that he gutted through playing. He said he believes he shouldn't have been playing. He was in injury reports did not practice Thursday, did not practice Friday. Um, and he claims that he tried to gut through. He Obviously, he dressed, he played a few plays, and he said he couldn't go anymore. His ankle just wasn't healthy enough. Antonio Brown claims when he was on the sideline, the coaches came up to him said, hey, get in the game. AB said, I can't, I'm too hurt. And that's when Antonio Brown claims the coaches said, well, if you're not on the field, You're gone. You're out of here. And he claims one of them pointed at him and then did the whole throat slash uh, throat slash gesture and to indicate he was off the team. And that is what Antonio Brown is claiming led to him taking off his pads, taking off his gloves, taking off his undershirt and running shirtless through the back of the end zone, jumping up and down, firing the crowd up as he made his what most likely will be final departure from an NFL field. Now, it gets interesting because Antonio Brown says he was cut on the field and then he left the field, and that's what led to the outburst. Bruce Arians, after the game, and even you know, on Monday, was saying that you know, the injury of Antonio Brown never came up. Antonio Brown you know, refused to go on the field, and that's why he was cut. Antonio, uh, Bruce Arians, after the game, said you know, he's no longer a buck. He's not on the field. So here's what I mean when I say Antonio Brown... Could be right. That's a synopsis of what was said yesterday. Antonio Brown's side of the uh, the spectrum. Antonio Brown probably is right about his ankle injury. Right again, this is a guy who missed two months of season with an ankle injury. It's not like it came out of nowhere. He didn't practice Thursday. He didn't practice Friday. Antonio Brown this morning released text messages that at least portray. That he was texting Bruce Arians this week about his ankle injury and how he's, you know, he's gonna try to gut it out. He's not 100 percent but he's gonna give his best to be on the field. Um, so at least there is if this is true. Again, it's Antonio Brown, so we gotta take the source with a grain of salt. But if these text messages are true between him and Bruce Arians, it appears Bruce Arians knew about the ankle injury, and the ankle injury was severe enough to where Antonio Brown is not lying about not being able to go back out on the field. So he could be right and probably. Is right with it, right? You can't really fake MRIs. Maybe I'm being naive, but his lawyers claim there's MRIs. The hospital special uh, hospital special surgery in New York City is the one listed where Antonio Brown got his um, second opinion on his ankle recently. So it seems medically there is truth there. So you can be right about the ankle injury, but here's where he is still wrong, and I still think the Bucks are right for cutting him. I still don't believe hearing Bruce Arians' side of the story, hearing now Antonio Brown's side of the story. I don't believe Antonio Brown was cut from the Buccaneers because of an ankle injury or because he refused to go back in the game. I think he was cut on Sunday because it was a accumulation. It was a boiling point. It was a tipping point, really, I should say, for all the other BS that the Buccaneers, the coaching staff, his teammates were dealing with. It finally bubbled to the surface, and Sunday was the spark that kind of set off the explosion. That set off what we saw on Sunday happen between Antonio Brown, Bruce Arians, and the Buccaneers. And on Monday, Bruce, uh, Bruce Arians, Ian Rappaport was on the NFL network on Good Morning Football, basically explaining that this was not an isolated incident. Antonio Brown and his relationship with the team was very tenuous. Right, and, and Rapport is saying that within the uh, Buccaneers organization, there was a lot of frustration towards Antonio Brown whether it came with his ankle rehab. They didn't feel like he was you know, serious about rehabbing and doing everything he could to get back on the field. Obviously, we all know the the fake vax card fiasco. We lied to the Buccaneers, lied to the NFL, had a fake vaccine card when he wasn't vaccinated. He suspended three games. Obviously, we, we know that. And Rapport went out and say that there's distrust the Buccaneers don't feel Antonio Brown has been honest with them going forward this season. So for me, when you hear the background, when you know Antonio Brown or not know him, but you see what Antonio Brown has done throughout his NFL career on the field and off the field, again, for me, this is not about an ankle injury. This is not about refusing to go back in the game or not listening to the coach or, or you know, being too hurt to come in. This, again, to me is just a boiling point, a tipping point, for all the other BS the Buccaneers had to deal with this season, you know, in the public spotlight, behind closed doors, that Antonio Brown that just got too much where they just lost it. They exploded like a volcano. And guess what? The reason why I'm on the Buccaneers' side, the reason why I still don't fault them for cutting them, even if this ankle injury is true, is because we have all been there. We have all gone to a point of frustration with someone or a situation to where the smallest thing Isolated isn't a big deal, but because of everything that's built up, the smallest thing, boom, flips the switch and you explode. And whether it's with a significant other, whether it's with a friend. I know for me personally, back in college, me and still one of my good friends to this day, we were roommates with a few other guys and we just didn't get along. You know, there was, whether it was, you know, fighting over who's cleaning the dishes, whether it was the AC temperature, there's a lot of small, stupid things, frankly, that, caused tension that was, you know, caused a a rift that really kind of got me upset, got him upset. So it just kept on festering, kept on, you know, bullying to a point where there was one night where I got home late or later on like a Sunday I was working and he was a big fan of a TV show that came out on Sundays. I forget what it was almost like 10 years ago now. But his big thing was he has to watch a TV show in the dark. You cannot have any lights on watching the show. Uh, being in college, our apartment's not exactly huge, so the living room, the kitchen, it, it's all one. So I was trying to eat dinner late on Sunday. He's watching his show. I'm not trying to eat dinner in the dark. I'm putting the lights on. He's running over, putting them off. And it gets to a point where because of all the other frustrations over all the other living situations and small small things that kind of add up, it got to a point where now eating, you know, putting the lights on versus putting the lights off led to a massive explosion. A massive explosion. It wasn't just the lights, but it was everything that built up to it to where the smallest thing really just kind of lights the fuse and sets off a spark. That, to me, is what's happening here. It's not the fact that Antonio Brown hurt his ankle. It's not the fact that he couldn't go in the game because he's too hurt. It's the fact that the coaching staff, the Buccaneers, have dealt with everything beforehand, all of the baggage, all of the BS. And to the, now you get to a point where the smallest thing lights you off. You're in the heat of a competition. You're losing to the Jets. So Bruce Arians and the coach, I'm sure, are already pissed off. And now you hear Antonio Brown and you feel either you don't believe him or you're just frustrated with him anyway. That, to me, is what set off that explosion where, you know what? I do believe he was cutting the sideline. And I do believe Antonio Brown where his ankle was pretty banged up. But also, again, I have no fault for the Buccaneers for getting rid of a headache. I mean, It's not illegal. To cut Antonio Brown because you don't like him. Because you're frustrated. Because you had enough. Because, I mean, frankly, he's hurt, right? How many times do we see players get hurt and they're cut? That's just the nature of the beast. That's how the NFL works. So even after hearing Antonio Brown's side, where he is trying to portray that he was too hurt, he was trying to be a team player, and the coaches kind of were forcing him to play hurt and weren't, you know, being fair to him. It's almost like, honestly, I hate to be this callous, but it's almost like, sorry, too bad. Like, Antonio Brown is the guy who cried wolf. And when you keep on crying wolf as we know what, your cries all of a sudden start to fall on deaf ears. And this is the same guy we're talking about who blamed Mike Tomlin and Big Ben for his exit in Pittsburgh. He was done with both of them. He tried to blame them for how it was portrayed in AB's mind that he quit on the team when, in fact, he did. But he is blaming Big Ben and Mike Tomlin for putting it out there publicly, trying to make Antonio Brown sick like a bad teammate. He gets traded to the Raiders. He wants to trade. He gets goes to the Raiders. Doesn't even play in a game. Doesn't even make it to week one because he is blaming Mike Mayock. He's upset with. He's upset with John Gruden. Remember when he was in the process of getting cut. He's releasing you know voicemails from John Gruden. He's calling Mike Mayock names. He shouldn't be calling him. And as we know, he finally gets his wish. Released before week one. Gets traded to the Raiders team he wants to go to. Released before the season even starts. He goes to the Patriots. What happened? As we know. Started getting fight with Robert Kraft. Made it one game. And now here is the Buccaneers trying to blame Bruce Arians uh, you know, for playing him on an ankle injury which should have been playing. He's released text messages early this morning uh, blaming Alex Guerrero, the TB12 trainer, the, the infamous Alex Guerrero, Tom Brady's right-hand man. Ironically, Antonio Brown posted a screenshot of him in a text message with, uh, with Alex Guerrero upset that he paid Alex Guerrero all this money and is getting basically no work. As a trainer, he's not, you know, I guess, taking care of A.B. the, the way he wants or not showing him the love he was hoping for. Ironically, I can't believe Antonio Brown paid anyone uh, straight up. You look at Antonio Brown and the, this, the, how many times he has stiffed people where he's not paid them for their services. That's how he was called with a fake vax card. His former personal chef, where he didn't pay, was, like, frustrated that he wasn't getting paid. And guess what? He said, yeah, A.B. has a fake vax card. That's how the NFL found out. That's how he was suspended for three games. So now, again, it's the smallest things that always come back to, to rear its ugly head. And that's why, for me, Antonio Brown's a guy who always has an excuse. He always has someone to blame. So, yeah, you can blame your ankle injury and have it be legit. But still, at the same time, I can't fault the Buccaneers for condom. I think they did the right thing in terms of getting rid of a headache, especially as now we enter the postseason where the Buccaneers are trying to win back-to-back Super Bowls. It's hard enough to win a Super Bowl and, and repeat it as, as champions as is. You don't need any more headaches. You don't need any more distractions, and that's why I think the Buccaneers are the right thing in getting rid of a massive headache, the biggest distraction they had on the team. So that's why, for me, you hear Antonio Brown and his side of the story. I don't feel any sympathy for him. I'm sorry. I really can't believe him. And even if the ankle injury is true, which I do believe there was some serious um, injury there, I can't fault the bro, uh, the Bucks for cutting him because I think AB put himself in the situation to get the coaches and his teammates so upset to where the smallest thing would set them off to have him explode like we saw on Sunday. So I'm curious your thoughts here because you heard mine. I am not a sympathetic figure towards Antonio Brown. I could hear what he saying. I can believe the ankle injury and still not feel bad about him getting cut and still believe the Buccaneers did the right thing. I mean, hell, on the show a few weeks ago, six weeks ago, two months ago, Although the Buccaneers should have cut Antonio Brown as soon as the fake vaccine card fiasco happened. As soon as the NFL suspended him for three games and it was official that he actually did something wrong, I thought they should have cut him right then and there. The Buccaneers didn't, and now they are paying the price for it with this embarrassing, embarrassing story kind of still continuing to surface here on Thursday going into the final week of the season. Exactly what the Buccaneers didn't want, but it's exactly what they deserve when you kind of sell your soul to the devil and trust Antonio Brown and enable him to get second and third chances. So I'm curious your thoughts. You hear Antonio Brown's side of the story. You hear Bruce Arians and the Buccaneers' side of the story. Does your view of what happened, does your view of the entire situation change when you hear Antonio Brown's side, when you hear that he had a severe ankle injury that he gutted through in terms of suiting up, but was you know eventually too, um, too injured to keep on playing? Or do you, are kind of like me, sorry, Buccaneers still do the right thing. So love to your thoughts. Plenty of ways to get involved in the show. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Tweet us right in the live stream right there. Comment right away. We'll get your thoughts right on the air. We do return here on the Ryan Hickey Show. We'll go from one polarizing figure in Antonio Brown to another. Kyrie Irving made his return last night for the Nets. Was it the right call? Was it the right move? for the Nets to bring Kyrie back on a part-time basis. We'll discuss that when we return. It's the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: It it, is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 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 Welcome Welcome back to to the Ryan Hickey Show Show. right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
1: 20 minutes from now, we will talk about Jim Harbaugh. Will he leave Michigan for the NFL? But before that, we are talking polarizing players. Antonio Brown in the NFL. Um, Obviously, we know we all have seen the video. Antonio Brown last night put out his side of the story claiming he was too injured to play, And the coaches tried to force him in where he took a stand. And that's what led to him getting cut, not all his other outbursts. I'm sorry, I still... Think the Buccaneers made the right move, even though I do think the ankle injury was serious, and he's not lying about that. But Tony Brown too much for head in The Buccaneers did the right thing in um, moving off for him. Love to hear your thoughts whether your your view changes of Ky, uh, of Kyrie Irving of Antonio Brown um, after hearing his side that he was too hard to play. Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook Worldwide Sports Network Twitter. And you tweet us at Ryan Hickey Show or WWSRN underscore Radio. Feel free to comment on the live stream. We'll get your thoughts right here. But like I said, we go from one polarizing player in Antonio Brown to another in Kyrie Irving. Kyrie made his much-anticipated return to the court last night. Uh, He is playing only on a part-time basis. He is not vaccinated, and according to New York City rules, you cannot play basketball if you are not fully vaccinated. So he's still back only on a part-time basis. He's only playing road games now for Brooklyn moving forward. I'm curious your thoughts. Is this the right move? Are the Nets doing the right thing in bringing Kyrie back on a a part-time basis? I think yes. Remember before the season, the Nets said until he's a full-time participant, until he is vaccinated or the rules change where he can play home and away games, the Nets are not going to bring Kyrie Irving back. Obviously, last night was proof and example. They flip-flopped on that. They changed their minds. And you know what? I think the Nets are, are smart to change. Uh, you know, reverse course on this and bring Kyrie back? Because as we know, times are changing. Living in this pandemic, living in COVID world, if you will, everything changes by the minute. So you know what? So should the Nets philosophy. I think it's smart for two reasons for the Nets to bring back Kyrie on a limited basis. Number one, it gives your stars a break in the regular season. And frankly, that's the most important part. Because this team, the Nets have been a team that's been decimated by COVID throughout the year. So, because of COVID, because of the lack of depth they have, Kevin Durant and James Harden have been playing overtime in terms of minutes per game in November and December. You want to have them, you know, play, you know, push it to the limit and play 35, 38, 40, 42 minutes a game come April, May, June? Yeah, that's why you pay them a max deal. But we're talking about them playing 38, 40, 42 minutes in November, in December, in January. That's not how you get your stars ready for the postseason. That's not how you make sure they are fully ready to go playing at their peak come playoff time. You look at Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, in terms of average minutes per game, is third in the NBA. He is averaging the third most minutes per game played this season. You know who's fifth? James Harden. So two of the Nets' best players this season are top five in average minutes per game. They're averaging both over 36 minutes per game. You do not want your best player, your true hope for a title in Kevin Durant and his number two in James Harden playing 36 minutes a night early in the season. That's how you run them into the ground. That's how you get them exhausted come playoff time. You look at Kevin Durant, why that 36 minutes per game is important is because that's the most he's averaged in his career since 2013-2014. His Oklahoma City days. Look, Kevin Durant's still a great player, but he's almost a decade older. And now he's playing the same amount of minutes that he did almost 10 years ago? That's not a recipe for success if I'm the Nets. That's not if I'm Steve Nash, something I feel comfortable with. Having Kevin Durant log all of these heavy minutes early on in the season. I know the NBA is tough, right? Because you want to get into the regular season and you want to feel like it matters. But the truth is, for a team like the Brooklyn Nets, the regular season doesn't matter. Seating for them doesn't matter. You got to feel good if you're Brooklyn. If you're fully healthy, you could beat the Bucks. You could beat the Sixers. You could beat the Bulls. You could beat the Warriors or the Suns or whoever comes out of the West. So the regular season should be about maintaining health and getting your best players, namely the two right now that can play every game in James Harden and Kevin Durant, making sure that they are coasting through this point in the schedule, and by the time March and really April comes, they are kind of turning it up and playing their best basketball and rounding into playoff form. And right now, they're, they're maxing out. You can't have that. So Kyrie returning gives your two best players a break. take some of the stress off their back. I remember what happened last year. Kevin Durant, right, because of injuries, he was carrying the load, especially in the playoffs where Kyrie Irving gets hurt in the round against the Bucs, where James Harden gets hurt and hurts his hamstring early in the postseason. Kevin Durant was dragging that team to the end. They had an incredible seven-game series in the second round of playoffs against the Bucs. As we know, Kevin Durant's toe injury or toe was on the three point line. If it was three inches back, he hits a three, and who knows the the Nets advance to the Eastern Conference Finals. But Kevin Durant was exhausted. He even said after the series, it's no guarantee the Nets were getting to the finals, even if they beat the Bucs, because they were just dead. They were injured, and they you know expended all of the energy they possibly could. Kevin Durant's playing you know forty eight minutes a game in some of these games. So now if Kevin Durant. Was exhausted last year and he only averaged 33 minutes per game last year of the regular season. As we only missed a ton of games because of, you know, COVID, because of injuries. So he was playing less minutes last year than he was this year. He missed more time last year just for injuries. So in theory, again, you're more rested. Um, and he was still exhausted in the second round of the playoffs. He was still, you know, dragged to that finish line. Not any fault of his own, just because, again, he was expending so much energy he was so relied upon to carry this team because injuries, Kevin Durant was dead at the end of the season. So now if you're Steve Nash and you're the Nets, you see that and you realize, okay, we got to make sure Kevin Durant is healthy and, and rested, if you will, going to the postseason. So right now playing 36 minutes a game, averaging the third most minutes in the NBA is not the recipe for success. So Kyrie's return, again, lessens the burden on Kevin Durant takes some pressure off of James Harden and allows games in January and February to be ta- you know to have less responsibility on their shoulders so they have the nets have 24 road games left two are in New York one's in Toronto so he can't play those so he is he, Kyrie right now is eligible to play in 21 more games right now if no mandates happen sure it's not a you know a huge respite for two of your best players but it does provide a break. It does take some pressure off to where even if Kevin Durant is logging 35 minutes a game, the pressure to him to score and be a playmaker lessens because now you have another one in Kyrie Irving back. So a finals run for Brooklyn, a championship for Brooklyn, is relying on Kevin Durant's health first and foremost. Kyrie Irving's return, even on a part-time basis, helps get you know helps ensure a little bit more that Kevin Durant will be healthy and well-rested come playoff time. That's, for me, one of the reasons why I think it's a smart move for the Nets to bring back Kyrie Irving, even though it's on a part-time basis. The other one is kind of we talked about before, right? The world is changing every day. Every single day, we're learning more information and rules either change or get stricter based upon numbers and testing and, and spread and stuff like that. So there's no guarantees You sit here on January 6th that the rules today will be the same on June sixth, on May 6th, when the playoffs are coming. So there's a chance if New York City changes their, you know, mandates, if Toronto changes their mandates, all of a sudden Kyrie Irving could play in every single game. Like there's a chance here that mandates six months from now in these cities change. I mean, look at the CDC. Was it last week, right? Two weeks ago. They just cut the quarantine time in half from 10 days to five. If you're asymptomatic, you can now you know, return to work faster and you can kind of get back to your life faster. You're not you know, isolating yourself for 10 days. Now it's only five. Because we are learning more and more information, learning about the impact and the spread, it is now faster and quicker to get back because we have more information. So the protocols are constantly changing. The NBA just adopted basically the, this protocol as the CDC said. So now if you have COVID in the NBA, you can return faster than you could, let's say, three weeks ago. Things are always updating. Things are always changing. So by the time May and June comes, who knows where we could be? May 1st. New York City says, you know what? We're in a great spot. You know, COVID-wise, the vaccines are doing great. The 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 COVID uh COVID is, is less rampant now. It's there's not any more variants. The spread is is minimal. We are gonna, you know. Ease our vaccine mandate. Now, there's no mandate for vaccinations in New York City. You can go live your life, vaxxed or unvaxxed. Well, that means Kyrie Irving can go back and play every game. And guess what? If he sat out the entire season, he needs time to ramp up. I know he's been practicing. I'm sure he's been working out. But you still need to get back into basketball shape, get some harmony back with your teammates, get back in the flow and get back in the rhythm and develop some continuity. So if he sat home, let's say, till May 1st when when the mandates change, there's still time Kyrie needs, even though it's eligible to play in every game, to get back, you know, into shape, to get back on the same page with KD and James Harden. You still need time to develop continuity. And guess what? By the time May comes, that's playoff time. You don't exactly have a ton of regular season games to, I don't say waste away, but to use as a testing ground to get back into basketball shape, to figure out what works, what doesn't work. But now playing in a possible 21 games on the road, even though it's disjointed where Kyrie played last night. Now he's not going to play again. I believe the next road game is Monday or Tuesday. So basically it's a week off. So you play one game, you're off a week. You play two games, you're off 10 days. Like it's, it's not consistent. Don't get me wrong, but it's still an opportunity for Kyrie to get his feet wet, to get back in the rhythm. And it's an opportunity for, you know, Kevin Durant, for James Harden, for Patty Mills, for Nick Claxton, for the entire Nets team to get accustomed to playing with Kyrie Irving. So if the mandates ever do change and playoff time, he can play every game, you're still, you know, having or you still have now, it's quicker to get Kyrie back up to full speed when he's already playing half the time than it is if he just came cold out of quarantine or came cold out of, you know, just hanging out and then play basketball. So I do think it's smart for them to for the Nets to kind of go back at what they said. And bring Kyrie Irving back. Like, look, I'll be honest, I'm not a Kyrie Irving fan. I'm just not. Sorry. I what you see on you know off the court for me doesn't mean, you know, on the court, he's a great player. I'm not gonna take anything away from him. I was a Nets doubter for a while, to be honest. Have you heard any of the show last year? I did not think this three, this three, uh, this trio could win a title. I did not think they would coexist well together. And guess what? Obviously, injuries were a reason for last year, but they have played well together. I can't deny it. I was wrong on that. They have gelled better than I ever could have imagined. They have gotten along better than I honestly ever could have imagined. Those are three alpha dogs with one basketball. I didn't think it would work. But when they're on the court, it worked. When they were healthy, it worked. I do think if they were healthy, even two out of the three were healthy last year. They beat the Bucs and they probably go to the title. And probably, I don't know when, the Suns are playing well, but they at least make the finals. It wasn't because of lack of continuity or lack of getting along or or playing well. It was injuries. So now you get Kyrie back on the team in even a limited role. It helps get the Nets closer to a playoff spot or a a championship level. Even last night, look, played 32 minutes, scored 22 points, 9-17 to from the field. He's one of the most efficient and elite shooters in the NBA when he's on. And even, you know, first game back since the playoffs last year. 22 on 9-17. He's going to get back in a rhythm. He's going to do well for the Nets. And like we said, even if it's just road games, still a huge boost. And if things ever change in five or six months, Nets are the team to beat. Nets are the team to beat. So for me, it's it's the right move in the Nets and changing their philosophy and bringing Kyrie Irving back on the right path. um, Or or bringing, I I should say, Kyrie Irving back on a part-time basis. I think it makes sense. I think it's the right move. I think it's the right move. I thought I, well, I did agree. I'll be honest. When they first made the mandate that he's only going to be a, a, a full-time player or no player, I thought that was fine. I didn't think, you know, being a part-time player would work well. But because injuries, because of COVID again, and because now you see your stars playing massive amount of minutes early on in the season, I do think now is the right time to bring Kyrie back. I do agree with the Nets changing their minds and flipping their decisions to bring one of the best players on their team back, even in a very limited capacity. Like I said, he can only play 21 more games. So he's not playing a huge role right now, but if things change, obviously, so do the Nets. I think it's the right move. I'm curious your thoughts here. Is Kyrie playing just road games, being a part-time player? Is that going to help the Nets in your mind or hurt? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter. Check us out at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter or WWSRN underscore radio. When we return right here on the Ryan Hickey Show, there's rumors of Jim Harbaugh being interested in the NFL. An athletic story wrote that there's some interest from Jim to go back to where he uh, had a lot of success, which is the NFL. Will he leave? I got some thoughts on that. I'll give you them when we do return. It's the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the worldwide sports radio network
0: it, it, it's the worldwide sports radio network, radio network. Radio network. welcome, welcome back, to back to the Ryan Hickey, Hickey, Hickey show, show right here on the worldwide sports radio network
1: 15 minutes from now right here on the Ryan Hickey show which NFL head coaches as we enter the final week of the regular season should return in 2022, and which head coaches should be fired? We have a lot of names on the hot seat. And I think there's actually going to be more firings than we expect. So 15 minutes from now, I got a list of names here. Should they stay or should they go? We'll do that first. But speaking of staying or going, how about Jim Harbaugh? Should he stay and Michigan? Or should he leave to go back to the NFL? There's a report from The Athletic and Bruce Feldman, a tremendous college football reporter this week, saying that Jim Harbaugh has his eye on the NFL. There is interest in returning to the NFL. Now, I will say this. I think Jim Harbaugh is staying at Michigan. And I think there's one main reason why Jim Harbaugh is staying at Michigan that I don't really see many people talking about. I think it's his Michigan allegiance. I think the deep bond he has with the University of Michigan, having so much of his real life revolve around being in Ann Arbor, I think that bond is too strong to have him leave. Like, let me ask you this question. right? In case you didn't know, Jim Harbaugh was a former Michigan quarterback. His dad coached there. He has a lot of connections to the university. When was the last time we saw a prominent college football coach leave their alma mater, for another job, whether it's in college or whether it's in the NFL. You keep thinking, there's no real example you could find because guess what? It hasn't happened. And that's the situation Jim Harbaugh's in. We have not seen a coach at their alma mater. And I'm not talking about like Akron shoot down you know, Alabama State Akron. Obviously, that's going to happen. But we're talking about prominent, you know, big-time college football jobs here whether it's to leave for a bigger job or whether it's leave for the NFL, we have not seen a prominent college football head coach spurn their alma mater. We had Pat Fitzgerald, think about this, the Northwestern head coach. No disrespect to Northwestern, a tremendously um, smart, academically impressive school, right? But we know football's not really their priority, not really their thing. Pat Fitzgerald was a former Northwestern uh, great player. Now their head coach, he turned down NFL interviews to stay at Northwestern. He chose Northwestern over the NFL. You look at guys like Paul Christ at Wisconsin, Scott Frost at Nebraska, Curry Smart at Georgia. Those guys aren't leaving their jobs. They're not taking another job. If I don't know if Clemson or Alabama or Ohio State called Scott Frost is not leaving Nebraska. That pull that bond you have. At your alma mater, it's different and it's real. Like, I'll say this from my personal experience. If you're watching the live stream right now, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on YouTube, Worldwide Sports Network, we appreciate you watching. But if you are watching, you could see behind me, there is a Notre Dame banner. Why is that? Because growing up, I was a huge, huge Notre Dame fan. Lived and died within my entire family. No one went to Notre Dame, but you know, classic kind of Notre Dame. Uh, Fans, right? no one went. You're a Subway alumni, but you still root hard for the team. So that was my team growing up. That was one of my favorite teams ever, Notre Dame and the Mets, were the two teams I lived and died with the most as a child. That was a dream, go to Notre Dame. Now, as you, if you listen to even two minutes of the show, you probably figured, I'm not smart enough to get to Notre Dame. Well, you'd be correct. Got rejected, didn't go to Notre Dame, went to Penn State. And I will say this, now, today, 27 years old, it's kind of scary. I forgot my age there for a second. I guess it happens when you get older. I am a massive, massive Penn State fan. And Notre Dame, I really don't have allegiance to anymore. I really don't feel that same emotion like I felt even 10 years ago. Because that pull you have when you go to school there, that pride you have for your university, it's different. And you don't really realize it till you're at your school that you love. Now you make lifelong friends, you have a great time, hopefully, you go to games. That bond you have, the memories you make, for me at Penn State, but for you, wherever you went to school, it's different. So you root and you, you view and you, you have a rooting interest for that school for more than just the football team, for more than just the head coach or the success on the field. I mean, Notre Dame, talking about you know, success, Notre Dame has been more successful than Penn State the last decade. But it's still, I've actually, it's ironically, as Notre Dame's gotten better, I've lost interest in part because, again, that pride, that sense of, you know, that feeling you have, that bond you have to the school you go to is different and can't be replicated for any other team you root for, like for the Mets. the Penn State and the Mets are the two teams I root for the most. I love the Mets. I love pro sports. But there's that, that for me, the Mets and Penn State are almost different because the Penn State bond, like, it's a different emotion because you went there. Because you go to school, that feels like home. It's a second home. For most people, you go to school, that's the first time you leave home. You know, actual home for the first time. So, it's it's you have that bond that is that separates everything else. And for Jim Harbaugh, that bond he has is deep. It's real. His dad was an assistant coach there. So, he grew up going to Michigan games, being around the university, living in Ann Arbor. Obviously, he was a quarterback there, had success. Left to go, you know, played in the NFL, coached in the NFL. When he came back, called it a dream job. Now, I get a lot of coaches say that, right? You know, a lot of coaches are taught how this is the place they're never going to be. And three years, they pack up and go to a better job. Every single coach that's hired calls it their dream job. I get it. But for Jim Harbaugh, someone who grew up a Michigan fan, who grew up in the backyard of the stadium, whose dad coached there, you played there, that truly is a dream job. And I believe him. So if you're now Jim Harbaugh, Former quarterback of the university. Your dad coached there. You, you are the head coach there now. You know all the history of success that a guy you idolized and Bo Schembechler, had. For me, I think there's a certain pride and there's even an extra motivation, if you're Jim Harbaugh, to get Michigan back to a consistent winning level. To win a championship. I get what he uh, accomplished this year and beating Ohio State for the first time in six tries, for winning an outright Big Ten title for the first time since 2003, going to the college football playoff for the first time in Michigan football history. Sanchez created in 2014. I get this year has been more successful, and he has taken Michigan um, to a place they have not seen in almost two decades. I get it. So if he left now, you make the argument, Jim Harbaugh is leaving Michigan in a better place than where he found it. I still, though, believe... That you don't go to Michigan just to make the playoff. Like for me, I think Jim Harbaugh, again, knowing the history of success in the past, growing up with the university, I feel like you go there to win a championship. I don't think this is a stepping stone for him. Like when he left the 49ers to go to Michigan, this is just me. I have no insight. I don't know Jim Harbaugh at all. This is just me speculating from the outside. I don't think you view going back to your alma mater as a stepping stone job. With your eyes back on the NFL, where you think, okay, I'll go, to, I'll, I'll go back to Michigan, a place that I love. I'll go here for three years, and then, you know, I'll go back to the NFL. I think you go there to win a championship, to be a consistent winner. And call for what it is, there's not been consistent winning in Michigan. This is by far the best year, like I said, Michigan has had. But it's not like they've been in the Big Ten title game a bunch. It's like they've won big Ten titles or gone to the Rose Bowl or won a championship. This has been the most successful season of the six Jim Harbaugh has had, but it's not been consistent. So I do think this level of success motivates him to stay because now you're seeing, you know, if you're Michigan and you're Jim Harbaugh, you see, you know what, we are close. We can get over the hump and win a title here. I think it's important when he said post-game. Because after the college the to playoff semifinal, where they were blown out by Georgia, in the post-game press conference, Jim Harbaugh said, quote, it feels like a start. It feels like a beginning. Talking about how he thinks, end quote, that you know he thinks Michigan now is here to stay. This is not a one-hit wonder where they make the playoff and then kind of fall back into irrelevancy or fall back into fighting for third place in the Big Ten East again. He feels like there is some serious momentum, and I believe him. So you, for me... I don't think he's going to leave Michigan right as things are starting to turn for the positive, right as now recruiting, national title contention, right as now you are closer to that than you ever have been. I don't think now is the time you leave your Michigan when it's your alma mater, when you're trying to bring them a championship. If you think about it, the success they've had this year, you can for me carry it over. Right now, you finally beat Ohio State for the first time in six tries. So now you actually have the confidence and the belief that you can go toe-to-toe with the best team in the Big Ten and one of the best teams in the country. That's a confidence you can't fake, you can't replicate, or you can't pretend to have. So now you go into 2022 and beyond with a real swagger that you can beat anyone on your schedule. It helps to turn recruiting around. Right, like, look at what Dabo Sweeney has built in Clemson. When Dabo took over, Clemson wasn't a world-beater. He didn't inherit a, a, an all-world program. Right? What was the one thing we always talked about with Clemson? Clemsoning. It was a verb. Because every time they you know, played a big game, they would play well and find a way to lose at the end. They can never win the big game. And Dabo Swinney, once he got over the hump in 2015, he didn't even win a national title. But he had Deshaun Watson. They pushed Alabama to the brink. And since that 2015 year recruiting has been at an all-time high for Clemson. He has turned them into a juggernaut to now, it's a bigger surprise when they're not in the national title game than if they are. Obviously, this year is a down year, but for those five years from 2015 to 2020, Clemson was one of the best football programs in the country, up there with Alabama, up there with Ohio State, Georgia. Why? Because the one year, Dabo Sweeney broke through. He capitalized on it. Got recruiting up. It's a softer schedule I get in the ACC that helps, but he was able to capitalize that one big year and parlay it into a 5 year run where they won two national titles and now they're still trying to keep the good times rolling. I think Jim Harbaugh could do the same thing. One good year, now you help, you know, you, you see okay, hey recruits, we have beaten Ohio State. Now it's about winning national title. Now kids at 16 and 17 have seen it with their own eyes. Michigan can compete and can beat Ohio State. That help that helps with recruiting. And if you look at it, you know, in terms of the playoff expansion is coming college football playoff expansion is coming so now even if some years you don't beat Ohio State if you're 10 and 2 11 and 1 you could still make the playoff so now your path to making and winning a championship is almost easier because your season doesn't come down to just one game a year like it does with Ohio State do so I think Jim Harbaugh could capitalize off of, off of this season recruiting-wise and start to get big-time classes now moving forward that has Michigan in a position to compete and have success every single year. College-world playoff expansion is happening at some point, so now the path to the playoff gets easier, and the path to a championship opens up more than it currently is right now. So I do think Jim Harbaugh is going to stay at Michigan. I think the alumni poll. The bond that you cannot replicate with any NFL team or even with any other college team when you were at your former university, where you grew up rooting for, where your dad worked for, where you played, where you are now coaching, I think that's really, really tough to leave that now, where you are just on the cusp. I don't think it's mission accomplished if you're Jim Harper to say, I got Michigan to the college football playoff. That was my goal. Now let's get out of here and go back to the NFL. I think his goal is to win a title. I think his goal is to win a national championship, and I don't think he's going to leave until that goal is accomplished. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Do you think Jim Harbaugh will leave Michigan? Should he leave Michigan? I still don't think so. I think he can really capitalize off this year and build forward to where Michigan will have consistent success year in and year out, win more Big Ten titles, make more college football playoff uh, semifinal games, and win a championship. So I, think, I don't think Jim Harbaugh will leave, nor should he leave. Bump, i curious your thoughts. Eight, uh, I want to get a phone number there. Not on CBS Sports Radio. We're on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, which is where you comment on Facebook, Worldwide Sports and Eric. You can tweet us at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter or at WWSRN underscore radio. Tweet us right there. You can click on either of those Twitter handles. You scroll down. Boom. There's the live link to the show on the web. On the, the Twitter sphere, if you will, you can comment right there on the live stream as well. So get your Jim Harbaugh thoughts. When We return here. Black Monday is approaching, the day where NFL coaches find out their fate if they're on the hot seat. Will they return or will they be fired? We got a list of a bunch of coaches. Should they stay in 2022 or should they go? I'll give you my answer on a few coaches on the hot seat when we do return. Listen to the Ryan Key Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network
0: the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the World Wide Sports Radio Network.
1: And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. 20 minutes from now, Hickey's pickies with a character. A very good friend of mine, Jay Berman, very excited to have him on the show. But before we get there, first of all, as a reminder, 10 o'clock hour on the Reineke Show is always brought to you by LC Designs. Charcuterie boards are perfect for all occasions, so make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark. So Make sure you check out lcdesignsnyc.com, lcdesignsnyc.com for more information. We are approaching the final week of the NFL. Week 18 is upon us, which means Black Monday is less than a week away. The day, usually, the day after the season ends is when we find out which head coaches that are on the hot seat are fired and who will be retained for 2022. So I got seven names here, seven coaches, and I will we will discuss whether they should stay for 2022 and be brought back or whether they should go and be fired. So let's get into it. Here's one. I think it's very interesting. Seahawks and Pete Carroll. Should Pete Carroll return in 2022 or should he go? For me, the answer is go. I think Pete Carroll should and will retire and or step down after this season as Seahawks head coach. If you think about it from Seattle's perspective, it makes zero sense to bring Pete Carroll back next year, no matter what happens with Russell Wilson. And if you look at Russell Wilson's situation, for me, I do believe Russell Wilson wants out of the Seahawks in large part because of Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll doesn't really listen to Russ. He doesn't give him what he wants. He has an antiquated way of thinking. Pete Carroll thinks running the ball and playing good defense is how you win games in 2021. Not the case, especially when you have a top-five quarterback in the NFL. Also, especially when you have a really bad defense and no run game. So, I think Russell Wilson will be traded this offseason. I know last year he made the threats and never came through. I think this offseason is the year he finally does get traded and leave Seattle. So if that's the case, Russell Wilson is traded. If you're Seattle, you don't really have another choice. You're going to a full rebuild mode. Every, almost every aspect of your team outside of receiver needs an upgrade. Offensive line, running backs, corners, linebackers, defensive line. You have holes everywhere on this roster. So that if you don't have a top five quarterback on your team, kind of making up for a lot of those, you know, cleaning up for a lot of areas um and making the team look better than it truly is. You got to rebuild and get better. They don't have a first round pick this year cuz the Jamal Adams trade. So you got to, you know, really bring a haul of picks back and really build through the draft like they did a decade ago when they built the Legion of Boom and they got Russ. So if you're going to go into a full rebuild, which I think they should and they will, Peacock's going to be 71 years old next year. Do you want a coach that's not going to see the end of the rebuild most likely being the coach through the rebuild? Like for me, I'd rather bring in a head coach that is young, that is going to be there for the next, let's say, five years and help bring this team from where they are right now, which you hope if you're a Seahawks fan is rock bottom, and build through the draft the next two, three years and start to build a consistent winner that's going to have another decade of success like they did in the 2010s. So you want it if I'm John Schneider – the Seahawks GM. I want a head coach that's going to be there through the end of this rebuild. Pete Carroll, at seventy-one. I don't think he's going to do that. He's the oldest coach in the NFL. Now, Pete's never really hinted at retirement, but he's also not taken a losing season well this year, right? He's he's only had success. Obviously, he only knows what's winning what winning is like for the most part since he went to USC and beyond. So this is going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of lean years in Seattle. And I do think that um, it's time to bring a new head coach in for a rebuild. And if not, if P- if Russ somehow stays, I think Pete is gone. There's no, to me, chance that they're going to run the band back of Pete Carroll as head coach and Russell Wilson as quarterback back in 2022. So if Russ stays, that definitely means to me Pete is out. So either way, whether Russ is there or not, I think it's smart. I think it's the right decision for, for the Seahawks to move on from Pete Carroll. You're not going to fire him, so you're just going to gently kind of you know, have him retire or step down. And I do think the Seahawks will have a new head coach next year. So Pete Carroll going out for 2022. How about the Giants and Joe Judge? For me, this is an easy one. He also should be gone. And it's, for me, you're the Giants, you have been dysfunctional. You've been one of the worst teams in the NFL now for the last five, six, seven years. Well, you're going to get a new general manager. They're going to do the peak cow treatment to Dave Gettleman and force him to retire. I don't think they, they're going to fire him, but he is not going to be the GM next year. That's basically a done deal. So now, how you continue to be a dysfunctional team, how you continue to kind of being to be a bottom feeder in the NFL is by continuing the dysfunction, which is bringing in a new GM and forcing him to retain the current head coach. That never works. Bringing in a GM when you keep that coach, does either one or two things. Either you give more power to that coach because now you're going to hire someone that only wants to work with Joe Judge and loves Joe Judge, so you're going to enable a bad coach, or you're going to hire the best candidate. You're going to force Joe Judge, uh, Joe Judge on them. They're not going to like it, and they're going to fire Joe Judge in a year, maybe even before the year is over next year, and now you treat 2022 basically as a wash because you had a GM with the coach he does not like, does not trust, does not believe in, basically playing out the string in 2022 is not going to get you any closer to relevancy for the Giants. But you're just going to be, a, you're just going to have another wasted season. So for me, tearing it down, cleaning house, and getting the GM and the head coach on the same page is how, to me, if you're the Giants, you start to turn this team around. Cleaning house is the only way to go in the right direction. Not to mention. It's not like Joe Judge has been a great coach these last two years. Like, what has he done well? For those who think Joe Judge shouldn't be fired, let me ask you this. What has he done well to deserve year three with the Giants? What has he shown you that you think, you know what, that's an aspect I think the Giants could actually come away with and come out of this rebuild, if you will, on the positive end? The team has regressed in year two under his leadership. The Giants have lost 12 games this year. Nine of them have been by 10 or more points. So Joe Judge can talk about effort and playing hard and playing through the whistle in the fourth quarter. The thing, though, is every single game for the first three quarters, they're not playing well. They're getting blown out. Nine of the 12 losses have been by double digits. These games are a blowout. Not to mention he's not a great in-game coach. So for me, there's no justification for bringing Joe Judge back, which I do think is why he should be gone and fired at the end of the year. How about the Vikings and Mike Zimmer? I think he's a guy who should go, should be fired. You look at the Vikings where they are, they are stuck in the middle. They are not winning a Super Bowl with this head coach and quarterback combo, and they're not even making the playoffs consistently. So you look at the roster, there's not a ton of moves that can be made, but one of the quickest ways to turn a team around, to get them to playing up to their level that they're capable of, is changing one of two things, the head coach or the quarterback, sometimes both. You look at the rest of the roster on offense. You have Justin Jefferson. You have Adam Thielen. You have Dalvin Cook. You have some playmakers. You have, if you have the right head coach and the right quarterback in place, you have the potential to be a top five offense in the NFL. There's enough talent there to have the Vikings be one of the most prolific offenses in the league. So you, How you do that for me is bringing in an offensive-minded coach. Bringing in someone that can get the most out of this offense. Even if You can't get rid of Kirk Cousins, which I think they should. But if you can't, no one takes him. There's no quarterback that wants to go play for you, and you're stuck with Kirk. Bringing in an offense in mind you hope can at least get the most potential out of this offense and maybe make this team a a prolific contender. But now for the Vikings. You look at another year where they missed the playoffs. This is now just three playoff appearances for Mike Zimmer in eight years. The simple size is big enough, and I do think change is necessary in Minnesota. That's why I think Mike Zimmer should be gone. How about David Culley? Lame duck coach when he was hired with the Texans last year. We all knew that that was not going to last very long. But I think he should stay for one more year at least. I think he has done enough. He has done really everything the Texans could have asked for this season. Right? You look. David Culley has kept this team believing. They have played hard for the majority of the season. They have been competitive at times. They've even won a few games. Hell, they've won more games than we expected. I thought this team had a legitimate chance to go 0-17. I know it's a little dramatic to say, and it's hot takey to say, you know, a team's gonna go 0 17, but this is talent wise the worst roster in the NFL. This team stinks. You can't look at any bright spot on this roster and say, yeah, that's a good player, or yeah, that position is deep. Brandon Cooks, maybe. That's about it. But this team has still managed to win a few games. They're three and four, their last seven games, when the season by far is over. And usually, where you see good teams, or I'm sorry, when you see bad teams throwing the towel, this is when the Texans have been competitive and been good. And they just beat the Chargers and, frankly, dominated them like two weeks ago. Seeing that is a, you know, on the fringe of a playoff, a playoff berth. So for me, you keep David Culley, you keep building this roster, you keep Davis Mills at quarterback next year, you do not draft a quarterback. You get whether it's Aiden Hutchinson, whether it is Kayvon Thibodeau, whether it is Evan Neal, you get. Just a really solid player. The best player available if you're the Texans. And you build the roster first. Keep the head coach. Keep the quarterback there for another year. Try to build the roster up. Get talent at other key positions. And then in 2023, start to find your head coach of the future. Start to find your quarterback of the future. But David Culley's credit. He has done enough in my mind to stay for one more year. The Broncos and Vic Fangio. I think he should go. It's no secret. The biggest weakness of the Broncos is their quarterback. They are a quarterback away from being legitimate Super Bowl contenders. And I do think whether it's Aaron Rodgers, whether it's Russell Wilson, whether it's Deshaun Watson, that job if you're one of those three quarterbacks gets a lot more attractive if you have an offensive-minded head coach in place. We know Deshaun Watson's love for Eric Bieniemy. One of the reasons why he wanted to trade from the Texans is cuz he wanted the Texans to interview uh, Eric Bieniemy, which at first they did not. And that got uh, Watson very upset. If he's able to play next year, and he is, you know, cleared and, and good to go, and the Texans are going to trade him, well, the Broncos come a lot more uh, sexier destination for Deshaun Watson. If Eric Bieniemy, a guy like him, is at the head coaching uh, position, then Vic Fangio, sorry to call for what it is, Fangio's is not a very good in-game coach. He doesn't really inspire player, you know inspire you if you're a big time quarterback trying to play in Denver I know the Broncos have overachieved this year and have been more competitive than I thought but I think it's time to move in an offensive minded direction this is a quarterback away from being Super Bowl contenders you go all in to make that job as attractive as possible and I do think you do that by bringing in a new head coach with an offensive background that's for me time for Vic Fangio to go kind of like Joe Judge I don't think he does a lot well that really warrants keeping him at the uh, as a head coach in Denver uh, for 2022. How about the Panthers and Matt Rule? This has really turned sideways quickly. I think Matt Rule should stay. I think he should stay for 2022 because I do think the Panthers are a lot closer to being competitive than we realize. Right? They got to that great 3-0 start. Sam Darnold looked like a, a, a man that was rejuvenated in Carolina. But since that 3-0 start, they are 2-11 and 11 since. So it's been ugly. But I will say, this team is a quarterback away from being a playoff contender. They still got a long way to go on offense and build up the offensive line and try to get Christian McCaffrey healthy. But this team is truly a quarterback away from being a playoff contender and being a playoff team. And you look at the three quarterbacks that have played this year. Sam Darnold. I love Sam Darnold. That's a guy I had total faith and belief in. Got to call like a C. The guy stinks. The guy stinks. He can't play quarterback, and we have seen too much of him this year to show it's not just the Jets that are the issue. It's Sam Darnold. So Sam Darnold was a failure. P.J. Walker, call for what it is. It's P.J. Walker. And Cam Newton stinks. Cam Newton's worse than, than Sam Darnold. Cam Newton made Sam Darnold look like a good quarterback, like a quarterback where Matt Rule was excited to have back. He couldn't wait to move on from Sam Darnold when he got hurt. And then five weeks later, he could not wait for Sam Darnold to come back off IR and start again. That shows you where the, the offensive uh, is for the Panthers. That shows you where the quarterback position is for the Panthers. Doesn't help when you have Christian McCaffrey this year, missed 10 games, which now it's two years in a row. He's been injury prone, not good. But you have a defense in Carolina that's really good. They drafted really well in recent years where they have the number two uh, defense in terms of total defense. They've been one of the pa- best pass defenses in all the NFL this year. They have a defense and they have skilled players in Christian McCaffrey when healthy in DJ Moore when healthy that they are just a quarterback away from being a playoff team. So I think Matt Rule should get one more chance here in Carolina we'll get one more offseason to get a quarterback that can actually be competent and actually stand a chance to get this team A chance to make the playoffs. So I think Matt Rule stays for one more year. I think he's building something good in Carolina. It's just the quarterback position has been so, so bad now for two years that he hasn't had a shot. And finally, free, this is the hardest one. Rich Basaccia and the Raiders, should he stay or should he go? I think he should stay. I think Rich Basaccia should stay as the head coach of the Raiders because he has played a huge, massive role. And keeping this team together all season long. And I don't think that leadership can should be overlooked and can be replicated. Like, think about it. The Raiders right now are nine and seven, are playing a home game that is a playoff game against the Chargers where you win and you're in. They should not be in that excuse me, situation right now with what they've dealt with this season. Look at all the roadblocks they have had to deal with. They had John Gruden's emails come out and he got fired in season. If Henry Ruggs' DUI car crash killed someone, now his life is going to be, you know, it's over. He's going to be in jail. Damon Arnett was cut for a video he posted threatening someone's life. And now this week alone, Nate Hobbs, another player on the team arrested for DUI. This has been, you know, one roadblock after another for the Raiders to deal with all season long. And to Rich Passaccia's credit, along with Derek Carr, those two have kept this team afloat. They have kept them believing. They have kept them playing hard. Even at six and seven, right? The the Raiders go off to a hot start and they they lost a bunch and they're six and seven. He had this team still playing hard, still believing. They have won now three games in a row. And like we said, they are just one game away. They are basically in the playoffs this week because it's a win and you're in game against the Chargers at home. No one would have expected that. So to me, his leadership outweighs the X's and O's that other coaches bring. I view Rich Pasquale with what he's done this season a lot like John Harbaugh, a lot like Mike Tomlin, a lot like Pete Carroll. More motivational, more you know, good leaders than they are tremendous X's and O's players. Calling plays on offense, calling plays in defense. So I think Rich Pasquale should say so. Rich Pasquale, I think, should come back in 2022 as Raiders head coach. Matt Rule should come back in 2022 as Panthers head coach. I think the Broncos should fire Vic Fangio. The Texans should keep David Culley. Vikings fire Mike Zimmer, Giants fire Joe Judge, and the Seahawks fire Pete Carroll. I'm curious your thoughts here. Seahawks, Giants, Panthers, Raiders, who should stay, who should go head coach? Who should be fired? Who should come back? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, Run underscore radio, or uh, at Ryan Hickey Show. It's a Thursday in the NFL season, which means... Hickeys, pickies and my guy jay berman is next we'll do that when we return right here on the worldwide sports radio network
0: it is it, the worldwide sports radio network, radio network. Radio network. welcome radio back to the ryan hickey show, show right here on the worldwide sports radio network
1: and welcome back into the ryan hickey show where else the worldwide sports right now it is a thursday which means hickeys pickies is live the last week at least rat last regular season week of hickeys pickies here is week 18 does come in the nfl and i'm very very excited for our next guest here a man who we worked very closely together at cbs sports radio one of my good friends i like to say and that is jay berman jayster what's up man
2: how are you buddy looking good today
1: yeah wow this is the first time i've seen you in a while i tried to do the hair extra extra high for you today
2: you did it's funny my wife asked me what game is on tonight and i said there's no game and i was a little bit sad about it so i've got nothing to watch tonight
1: you know what jay i'm kind of with you i i don't know about you i kind of like thursday night football the most like better than monday night better than sunday night i love thursday night football does suck There's nothing tonight
2: yeah, it's and and this goes for every game, but it's fun. It's especially fun when there's a good game, and uh, you just don't know in the beginning of the season when you look at the schedule. Uh, so uh, the fact that there's no Thursday night is a uh, is a little bit sad. But don't forget, we have that Monday night wild card game, which I'm very much looking forward
1: to. Is that dripped in sarcasm or is that true, Jay Berman? You know, excitement.
2: No, that's three days of playoff football in the first round, and that's always uh, always better than two days. Uh, That's play football.
1: <laughs> more is always better than less. So this is why we bring Jay Berman on. Not only do you bring some good takes, Jay, you come prepared. Is that a microphone icing in front of you? Yes.
2: Well, wow. with my new job, I have uh, I had the setup ready to go. So uh, yes, it's a microphone. I even have earbuds um, and a wonderful background.
1: This guy is a consummate pro. You sir, by far the most prepared guest we have had on. No shot to any of the other ones, but. <laughs> no one has had a, a personal microphone and headphones in. Look at you, Jay. Thanks for, thanks for really, you know, taking this seriously.
2: You have a wonderful set of headphones, by the way. I must uh, I must. Say. Oh, you like those? Not really. But, okay. Um, I figured
1: that. I was going to say, you're too nice so far.
2: You're looking good.
1: Hey, you know what, Jay? I try. I haven't seen you in a while, so I figured I'd try my best to, to impress. Usually, anytime we hang out, especially at work, you'd always make fun of me. So thanks for being, uh, thanks for being kind now. I like this I new you, Jay.
2: Like I miss you.
1: I know. I gotta stop ditching you, or yeah. leading leading you on. You know, I will hang out, and you know, we haven't had that happen.
2: Well, t- time is running out. I'm only in New York for a few more weeks, so we'll uh, we'll have to make something.
1: Happen. I am looking forward to. We definitely will. Jay, are you ready to make some picks? The last regular season of the NFL. You got some some feeling some winners here.
2: I am. Um, okay. It's a very interesting week because you have to dodge bullets here. Um, who's playing? Who's resting? Who's hurt? Uh, and obviously playing out the string for uh, for most teams, so it's really interesting if you combine the the playoff implications, the injuries, the Joe Burrow not playing at all. Uh, there's a lot of landmines here, so you uh, you need some luck as well.
1: Yes, that's why like the games we, uh, we picked this week, it's it was honestly the toughest slate just because right you can't go based on names and matchups. It's oh who's playing. Browns and Bengals on the surface sounds great. No Baker Mayfield, no Joe Burrow, no Joe Mixon. All right, that game sucks. Like, we're not going to bother that. So there's not many games this week that truly have playoff implications. And even some of the games you picked don't really matter much, but it's, all right, guys will still have incentives to win. So that's really what it is, right? You try to get as close to having competitive games as possible. Before we get to the NFL, though, we will at least get one college pick. The national title game is on Monday. You are Mr. College Football. We have Georgia and Alabama, the SEC title game rematch. The Georgia Bulldogs were favored in that game, got smoked. They are favored again on Monday night. Three-point favorites against Alabama. Where are you going with Jay? I, am, uh,
2: yeah, I didn't know the line. So uh, in uh, researching uh, the line, I found out that Georgia is favored by three, and I still cannot believe it. I, I, I sent you the
1: picks last night.
2: I sent I know, you the lunch. The first time I looked at it. Oh, okay. It. I okay. looked at it all week and um, I'm I'm still surprised. I can't figure out how you can pick anybody but Bama. And and the number being uh, giving Bama points uh, seems insane to me. I'm running with Alabama. I think it's a multiple score difference here. I don't see any way Georgia keeps up with Bama. But again, this is the same story every single year. I pick Bama every single year. The one the years they win, I uh, put my thumbs up. And the years they lose, I say tough luck. So uh, I'm going once again back to the well, picking Bama, getting points. Still can't believe it.
1: You're a smart guy, Jay. I mean, I'll have to tell you that. You already know that. But it this is, you're a smart guy because you're doing the sensible thing. Alabama getting points in any situation, it's a gimme. It, it should be a no-brain, like I said, period, stop, okay, I'm doing it. I hate to do it. You're going back to the wall, and so am I. I picked Georgia in the SEC title game. I may have said on the air that this is going to be a blowout, and it's not going to even be close if you go. And obviously, we know how that went. There was a blowout, just not the way I thought it was going to go. I'm getting back on the horse. I'm doubling down. I will go Georgia. I think they are a, a really good team. This is the year where truly they are, I think, still the only elite team in college football because Alabama, talent-wise, is still there, but they're still so inconsistent to where it's tough to feel like they're going to play their best game consistently just because we've seen it twice this year. They played great against Ole Miss. They played great against Georgia. I am going (laughs) to – this is a really stupid bet, I'm telling you. I'm going to bank on the fact that Nick Saban won't have his guys ready to play in a consistent level, and Georgia will find a way to come out and win. So it's stupid, but I'm going Georgia.
2: Yeah, I hear you. I'm trying to think, and I don't know the answer to the question, which is why I bring it up. But I'm trying to think, especially in late December, early January, the last time Bama was an underdog. Uh,
1: In May, actually, I'm trying to think, maybe the SEC title game, uh, like against Florida when Tim Tebow was there. I think they won that game. Like they have barely been underdogs in general, let alone, like said, this late in the year.
2: And that it's a different era now for Bama. Uh, that was when Florida was good. That's mm-hmm. when uh, Urban Meyer was uh, leading the way. Things have changed. Florida stinks, and Bama's great.
1: That is very true. I will say the one thing I, I will say about Georgia. I did like how they came out and beat the crap out of Michigan. Like I, you could have a hangover from the from the Alabama game and have that be in your head and kind of have that loss trickle into a, a, a playoff game. I am encouraged the fact that they came out and beat the brakes off of Michigan without even thinking about it. I think that, while it's not Alabama, I think the, the mental hurdling of the jump over a team is different. I do think that, for me, it feels has me feeling a little bit better about Georgia where they are able to flush that loss from Alabama and just beat the brakes off of Jim Harbaugh and Michigan. Not what? to mention, Ooh.
2: as we know, Nick Saban uh, is one of the greatest coaches um Ever, But you, if you compare him to someone like Bill Belichick, we always talk about giving the, um, giving the coach time to prepare, and uh, it's not just a single week, it's not just two weeks because they've already played them this year. So uh, there is plenty of film to go around, and I think anytime you give him this extended amount of time to uh, prepare, I just, I, I, I can't even see Georgia keeping it close.
1: Jay, like you said, you're a smart man here. That's why we bring bringing on the show because I'm not. I'm I'm taking the sucker bet here. I'm going with the Bulldogs, like I said. It just it's common sense to n- pick Alabama, but sense for me is not common. I guess in this pick, we'll go with the Bulldogs <laughs> here. In uh in an upset, I guess we'll call it even though they're favorite, which I feel like you're right. It would be an upset if they do win.
2: Oh no doubt about it. There's uh, you know it's like who cares what who's the uh, who's the underdog and who's the favorite, right? Um, but there's just no chance. Georgia hangs with Bama. I, uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. Cause it's Monday night uh, with uh, no other football. True. Uh, so it'll be fun. And I look forward to the national championship uh, championship game every year. Uh, I just, I, I, I don't think this is close. I hope they can keep it close because I'd love a good game. Don't
0: see it.
1: Yeah. That's the thing with college football. When it comes to the playoff, it's usually the national title game is a good one, but the, the path there and the playoff games, the semis have just been just awful. Yeah. Absolutely awful. How about a big NFC West battle here, Jay? 49ers and the Rams. Now, the Rams have locked up a a, a, um, a playoff berth. They could still clinch the NFC West. They could still keep the two seed with the win. So they are incentivized to win. 49ers win, and they're in the playoffs. It looks trending to be Trey Lance starting, but Jimmy Garoppolo was limited in practice yesterday, so there was, I guess, an outside chance he could come back after missing last week with a thumb injury to play. But the 49ers on the road are getting four and a half points. San Fran or L.A., Jay?
2: San Francisco getting points. Uh, Despite that, it tells you how good San Francisco's roster is from top to bottom, with the exception of the quarterback. (laughs) And I understand that Garoppolo is hurt, but he's not as good as we thought he was going to be when he got traded to San Francisco. Who knows what to make of Trey Lance? I don't see... And again, it just goes to show the, uh, the power of the roster from two through 50, whatever. Uh, I, I love San Francisco here getting points. Four and a half felt like a lot. Uh, but again, San Francisco and the Rams. Ram, and talk about inconsistent. I know we uh, mentioned Bama. Talk about Rams being inconsistent all season long. Uh, I, I don't know what to make of them. And obviously, they're going to be in the playoffs. But uh, give me San Francisco getting points.
1: Now, does this have any bias to do with you being in San Francisco last week and being a big-time San Francisco lover?
2: Believe it or not, I was in L.A.
1: Oh, whoa! Excuse me. (laughs) So maybe maybe from that
2: perspective, I should lean towards the Rams, love the Niners.
1: Did you have an awful New Year's? Is that why you're going against L.A.? No, I had
2: a great New Year's. The problem with L.A. is I'm not sure if you remember. um, There was terrible rain for, like, Ooh. a week or two and uh it happened to linger into the first couple of days we were there uh, the second uh set of days that we were there it was uh bright sunshine but again uh it was unique for la to get all that rain
1: yeah, you don't look too tan so it doesn't look like you're out on the beach too often
2: i'm not allowed to go outside with uh anything short of spf <laughs> 1000.
1: <laughs> so the rain's probably helped you out then there you go Jaster. I'll go with the Rams. I think they're the more talented roster. Um, like you said, they have been inconsistent. I mean, they're barely beaten the, the Ravens with that awful defense last week. I will just go with a team that I do think now this is the team that's owned them. right? Uh, the 49ers won five straight over the Rams. I think Sean McVay gets his revenge. The quarterback questions. Uh, do me a little concern, especially going against a good Rams defense. I think Matthew Stafford shakes off the first game that he had against San Fran that was just awful. Gets back on track here. I think he's throwing like, what, six picks like the last uh, two games.
2: Yeah, he's been he's been bad of late, for sure.
1: It has not been good. Some more pick sixes have been an issue. He figures it out. It's almost, I will say, a little bit of a hope because I, I have picked the Rams to go to the Super Bowl early on in the year, and I'm, I'm really not trying to get off the bandwagon, so I'm going to try to will the Rams here to victory. Uh, laying the four and a half at home, I think they do get the win. Clinch the NFC West. Keep the number two seed with a with a decisive win over the 49ers. Steelers and Ravens? Basically a meaningless game. They need hell of a freeze over in order for them to have any shot at the playoff. Uh, The playoffs. The Ravens are at home getting five or giving five points. So the Steelers five point underdogs on the road. Steelers or Ravens.
2: Give me the push. Push. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I was going to say the first push we've had. This is the most difficult of the ones you sent me. Um, I'm going to go with the Ravens. I know that's a lot of points, but as you said, I believe the the Jaguars need to beat the Colts and the Steelers need to win uh, for the Steelers to get in. What else has to happen for Pittsburgh?
1: And I think they don't need a Raiders or, like, they need them to play the game. The Raiders are Chargers. Right. No, no tie. tie. No tie. No tie. Right.
2: So, regardless, the Jags are not beating the Colts. So, right then and then. Hope not. Uh, <laughs> don't jinx it yeah no i mean come on those are two very different teams but uh so give me the ravens um i think once you realize throughout a game that it's not going to happen um i think not, they're not going to lay down for sure uh but there's um some some air taken out of the balloon if you will and uh i i just like the ravens here it's lamar going to play
1: no clue. Like no clue. It's been, you know, mum is the word. I would probably guess no at this point, to be honest. Yeah. Like you yeah. said, they need a miracle to make the playoffs. So at this point, is even worth risking Lamar Jackson playing on a bum ankle? I'd probably say no.
2: Yeah. You would think uh, with a backup quarterback, uh, I would go towards the Steelers. But the, talk about inconsistent. Uh, the Steelers, I, 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 I don't know what to make of the Steelers. They probably have the best coach in the league. Uh, but they have a uh, a beat up roster, and I think that uh, the Ravens um, will win this by a touchdown.
1: I'm taking the Steelers. I don't like it. I'll take the points. Look, Big Ben stinks. Like, let's just call for what it is. He had a great moment on Monday night, beating the the Browns and getting that you know last win at home. But I mean, my God, you watch that game. This guy's throwing two yard passes. He's barely getting the ball past the line of scrimmage. I think he set a record. It was like 46 pass attempts. Whatever, 130 yards is like the most. The most passing attempts with the fewest yards in NFL history. So it's not like Big Ben's going to shred this Raven secondary that stinks. And like I said, Tyler Huntley's been playing well, but he's quarterback, probably will play on Sunday. But I just will take a game in which both teams are beat up, not playing well. I'll just take the Steelers getting five points. I think they're. Not. Yeah. I'll, I'll, t- I'll take it being a close game. This was a close game the first time where the uh, the, the, Ra- uh, the Steelers were getting points at home, and they put Lamar in a blender. I think the defense gets after it again. I um, think defensively, the Steelers are a little bit more, you know, are better than the Ravens, so I'll take the Steelers' defense, keeping this game close, and the Steelers getting five, um, covering on the road in Baltimore.
2: Who's the quarterback for the Steelers week one next year? <sighs>
1: You know and,
2: and is it a rookie?
1: If I had to pick right now, I still think I would go Aaron Rodgers. I think I, I would lean that way. I don't feel great about it. That's my that's my pick. Where are you going?
2: Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. They're, they're not going to get a top quarterback because no. they're going to have a low pick because they're great every year. But I would tend to lean towards something like a trade as opposed to a rookie quarterback. Uh, But Mike Tomlin's so good uh, that um, I I have complete faith in him. Although, I know we've been talking a lot about it lately, about 15 consecutive seasons to start his career without a losing record. Depending on who the quarterback, I mean, if it's Mike Glennon next year. God, Your guy. Your guy.
1: My (laughs) God. The Steelers have to strike out on how many quarterbacks? Like 30 quarterbacks before it's like, all right, screw it, Mike Glennon. Like, that's – you are going down the barrel there. Um, yeah, it's – I just – you look at the Steelers, they're not that far away. Like, the offense line stinks, but the defense is good. They have some playmakers that receive Like, they're really kind of quarterback and, like, two old linemen away from yeah. being competitive.
2: Well, the Steelers are always a couple of players right. away in a good way. Uh, that's yeah. how close they are every single season. So, I have faith in Tomlin and company uh, to, to, I guess, usher in a new era. Uh, but you just don't know. It's such a quarterback-driven league. If you don't know at this point in time who your quarterback is next year when you're not going to make the playoffs this year, uh, what does that say? I, 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 it's, it's a fascinating, fascinating question.
1: Yeah, and they're kind of stuck. It's going to be, yeah, like you said, it's – I would try for Aaron Rodgers. Um, that's not really the Steelers' way either. They don't give up a lot of picks. They don't pay a lot of money for a quarterback that's going to kind of call the shots. But I will say Mike Tomlin's uh, and Aaron Rodgers' little love affair – will be enough to get the job done. Interesting.
2: Cow- <laughs> Very interesting.
1: Yeah, don't feel a lot of confidence about it, but like you said, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Cowboys and Eagles Jester, big big NFC East battle, two of your favorite teams. Cowboys on the road minus 7 against the Eagles in a game that Eagles already clinched. Cowboys have won the NFC East. It's all about seeding here, so it doesn't mean a ton, but we'll still see who uh, is more motivated to win here. Where are you going?
2: Was it just me, or did that number feel high to you? That's a high to me. Down there, it just felt high. Um, I'm not even suggesting the Cowboys don't win the game, but I think it's going to be a close game. Um, the Eagles somehow have managed to put together a pretty good season, and I'm not suggesting Jalen Hurts isn't a good quarterback. He is, uh, but I never thought the roster from top to bottom was great. Um, I don't think it's a Super Bowl team. I just have a feeling this is going to be a classic NFC East battle featuring a low-scoring game despite the offense from Dallas. I think Dallas can win. I think they might win, but I think the Eagles keep it close.
1: Our first agreement. You're taking the Eagles plus seven. I will take the Eagles plus seven as
2: well. It just felt like the number was too big.
1: I totally agree, number one. And two, it's like you kind of even like, I don't know about you, how you feel. I really don't feel great about the Cowboys. Like, sure, Sunday Night Football, they beat the brakes off the Washington football team. Congratulations. But it's like, other than that, I mean, you're a Giants fan. You watched them two weeks ago. Did the Cowboys really, like, impression it was a 21-6? to Like, they didn't really play that great.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to judge someone playing the Giants. I would agree. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, you know, it's like I, I, one of the big problems, and I'm not trying to pick on the guy. I don't think Mike McCarthy is a great coach. Um, I think at this stage in the season, at this stage in the year, uh, that could mean the difference between a lost timeout, a missed field goal, mm-hmm. a uh, too many men on the field penalty, not, whatever.
1: Not, you not challenging last goal. week. That fumble, I don't know if yeah. it was a fumble or not. It was close, bang, bang. But you had it, you blew a timeout on a was an extra point or a punt. And all yeah. of a sudden, next thing you, know, you don't have a timeout left to challenge, and that, there's the game.
2: Yeah. 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 So but, I, I think McCarthy is, um, I don't know. I, I don't want to say Achilles heel of the uh, of the Dallas Cowboys, but I'm not in love with him. It's funny. We all loved him in Green Bay. And the reason why is because he had Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's the reason we love Matt LaFleur. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. I I think that uh, the Cowboys have a coaching problem. And uh, I've just never been, uh, never been in love with McCarthy since he got to Dallas.
1: I mean, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but it's like, I'm with you 100%. And when you look at the Cowboys roster, like if they... If they lose in the first round or even win a wild card game. Would you
2: be that surprised? No. Like if
1: he got fired, would you be shocked? I wouldn't.
2: Well, look, I mean, they're going to win the division. I mean, they are to fire a guy off a winning division and a home playoff game, you know, but
1: if you Uh, lose, let's say to the Cardinals again, or you lose to the Rams in the first round, or you, you win, but you play whoever in round two, the Packers, the, the, the Rams, the Cowboys or the, the, the bucks, and you get, you know, handled pretty decisively. It's like, if you're Jerry Jones, he's not getting any younger. The you ever he's desperate to win one more Super Bowl, there's not many changes you're going to make outside of head coach that could get you any closer. And to your point, I'm with you. Like, taking Matt LaFleur or Mike McCarthy. Taking Sean McVay or Mike McCarthy. Bruce Arians Mike McCarthy. Like, the, against the best teams in the NFC, they have the worst coach in terms of, like, the elite teams. I'm with you. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I, I agree. I agree. I think he is a um, – I don't want to go as far as to say he's a problem – uh, but I think all things being equal, as we just mentioned, when you talk about timeouts and too many men on the field and uh, instant replay, throwing the red flag, stuff like that, I think he is uh, below average.
1: Hundred percent. Like I said, if he's not, if he's not a solution, maybe it's, it's harsh to a problem. But he's definitely not, get, you know, helping them win for sure. He's only no, he
2: doesn't, he doesn't put keep them, keep them. All the
1: time. right. I would agree. So both of us, Philly plus seven in this game. I am with you there. The final game, really, only game that could matter on Sunday. Chargers at Raiders home playoff game here, basically for the Raiders. It's a win in your in game for either team. Chargers are three point road favorites. Jaster bolt up. Or are we going with the Raider nation here?
2: Yeah, I think we're going with the bolts here. I, I, I would say we talked about inconsistent teams and we talked about Bama and we talked about the Niners and we talked about the Steelers and we talked about the Cowboys. Just add the LA chargers to that as well. I we love Herbert, and uh, and rightfully so. But I'm just not sure they can go into Las Vegas, win, and win by a touchdown. You know, I mean, win by four five, six, seven points, whatever it is. Um, I like the Raiders here. Wow, I do. I, I I was torn here because we love the Chargers. Uh, I'm just not sure that the uh, they can go into Las Vegas. I, I haven't seen enough from the Chargers. Um, to believe that they are a team that goes in there and smokes the Raiders. Now, to be fair, the Raiders are a mess. And I'm not saying they don't have talent, but I don't know what to make of the Raiders. So I'm going with the home team here.
1: Again, this is what we bring on the show, Jay. You're a smart guy, common sense used prevailing. You're t- Alabama giving you points, it's a freebie. You take that every time. The Raiders, like I said, two inconsistent teams. The Raiders are at home getting points where both teams, it's a playoff game for both of them. It makes sense to take him because it's going to be a close game. You're a smart man going the Raiders. I'm going to go with the Chargers, though. Like you said, it's. I don't feel great about either team. I really don't because it's like they're both inconsistent. And for the Chargers, especially, the thing that scares me the most is Justin Herbert's been great this year, but the Chargers only win when Justin Herbert plays like a fantastic game. If he plays like even a good game, they don't have any other way to win. They don't really run the ball well. Their defense stinks. So it's like they are insanely relying on Justin Herbert where he has to be. Great to elite every game for them to win, where if they're not, they're not winning the game. So it's like, I mean, they lost to the Texans, so they could, they showed you they could lose to anyone if Justin Herbert's not having a tremendous game. That scares the hell of me, I'll be honest. I do think, though, in this game, you look at Derek Carr versus Justin Herbert, Derek Carr is more consistent for sure. The Raiders' defense, I just don't love the Raiders. Terms. I don't think they do one thing really well. Like, the Chargers have Justin Herbert as a great quarterback. I don't know, like, even though they beat my Colts last week, it's like, it's one of those games where they're resilient, they're tough. They don't do one thing that scares you. Like they don't, like Josh Jacobs is a good running back. They don't really run the ball in, in a way that really, you know, you have your fear in the life of God. Derek he has to the ball 40 times. Are you that nervous? I know that the Chargers defense isn't great, but it's like, are you really nervous when they go six, seven yards at a time? That They need a lot of things to go well for them to string together drives. The defense doesn't really have me concerned, so it's, I will go with the best player here in this situation, which is Justin Herbert. I think they do win and cover. They go, um, they do go to the playoffs. Let me ask you this. Yeah. In a, in a rare situation where the Jaguars beat the Colts, both teams are in with a tie. If you were the head coach of the Raiders or the Chargers, do you say, well, let's not be stupid here, common sense, knee it out, let's take a tie and go to the playoffs? No way. No way. And I
2: guarantee you, we'll never know, So that's why guaranteeing something we'll never know the answer to is ridiculous. But I'm going to guarantee (laughs) you anyways that Goodell made it very clear to both teams, you will not kneel down. You will not push for a tie. I mean, think about three and a half hours of nothing on a Sunday night when that's where the NFL put that game. That's not happening. They'll play the game for sure. Anybody who thinks they're kneeling down is nuts.
1: Now I will say I have not considered the Goodell like edict um, angle that you threw out there. I think you actually right. And we'll never know the answer because it's private. But right. I
2: guarantee you, he did something of that sort.
1: I will say, like it's, I would do it if I was the. F, if now obviously you need two to tango. So if Rich Pasaccio or, or Brian Staley already came out and said we're not going to do it, if they say no, then you're not going to do it. But if I was the head coach of both sides, it's like, it's a gimme. There's, there was no gimmies in the NFL. There's no cupcakes on your schedule. There's no free passes. This is literally free pass. Take a knee. No one's going to get hurt. You are guaranteed to make the playoffs. You cannot lose a game. I, I wouldn't pass it up. Sure. It would be an embarrassment. Obviously, remember last year at Sunday Night Football when the Eagles pulled their starters and everyone, including your boy Joe Judge, freaked out. It was an embarrassment yeah, to the, the game. game. They played the game. And people were still freaking out. So, I mean, yeah, if you have just 2 Neos on Sunday Night Football, there might be a riot. But that I said, think, I would do it.
2: I think um, there's a better chance of that happening, or there would be a better chance of that happening, if it was a 1 p.m. Eastern game, or even a 425 game, because there's so many 425s this week. But you have a standalone game on a Sunday night that was flexed no chance. No chance.
1: It's. I get what you're saying. For me, it's tough to basically look at the playoffs and saying, "I'll take my chances, 50 50 Against. I mean, again, like I said, you can't feel good about either team in this situation because they're both inconsistent. But I would agree, there's no chance of it happening. I also would say, though, if it was me, I would do it. All right. So we're, you're on the the Raiders uh, plus three. I'm on the Chargers minus three. We're both on Philly plus seven. You're on the Ravens, uh, minus five. I'm on the Steelers. You're on the uh, the 49ers, plus four and a half. I'm on the Rams. And you're on Alabama, plus three. I am on Georgia, minus three. We don't three. agree on much. We do now, which is par for the course, Jay. <laughs> Upset special time, Jayster. Who are we feeling good about underdog-wise this week?
2: I feel terrible about the Giants, uh, but since it's the end of the season oh. and they're getting a touchdown at home with the wonderful Jake Fromm under center, give me the Giants wow. getting seven from the Washington Admirals.
1: That's where the Admirals, huh? All right, I would go with the Hogs if it was me. <laughs> the Red Hog—that's a good that's name.
2: That's not bad either.
1: Not bad. Not bad. Uh, definitely better than you know the Brigade or the the Commanders, the Presidents, Yo. the Washington oh. Presidents. So <laughs> <laughs> screw it rip it off
2: <laughs> right right
1: you're going with the Giants plus well you know Joe Judge is going to have him playing hard the only issue that I, this is a big revenge game for the football team they're gonna beat the hell out of the Giants because Joe Judge was talking bad about the football team Ryan Rivera is gonna have him ready to go I will stick though in New York I will go with the Jets the Jets are getting you see this line sixteen and a half and points now it's against the Bills the I can't say the straight face. The Jets have been playing better. Zach Wilson is showing some signs of improvement. The Bills I guess have a reason to play, but sort of not really. There's not yeah. really much they can you know they can go for. They're probably stuck into the four, and most likely will play the Patriots. So I don't think they'll play the full game. Six and a half points is a massive, massive number. Where remember last year, I believe the Bills pulled Josh Allen at halftime. Uh, against the Week 17 game, I think it was the, against the Dolphins. I think that same thing will happen again. Jets will be competitive enough to keep it close. They want to build on the momentum for, you know, to finish strong. Jets keep this close. 16.5 points, they come, They come. You
2: know, that's a good one, too. I, uh, I, uh, I picked the Giants with my heart, but 16.5 uh, in a final week of the season when the home team basically doesn't need the game. I like that pick as well.
1: Now you're a Giants fan. Last thing I ask you, Jay, are you rooting for a win? Do you want a draft position? Are you rooting for a loss? What's how? What are you doing? How are you approaching this last game?
2: I find this argument annoying, and I can't stand people that say I never root against my team. Well, you know what? I root against my team a lot. <laughs> I, want I want Washington to win because it's much better. Look, the Giants need so much help. They from do, top to bottom, include you know including the executive uh the executive branch of the team if you will they need a total house cleaning i'm not sure it's going to happen uh but uh I, i hope washington wins i do i'd rather have the fifth pick than the than the ninth pick and of course they have the bears pick as well so we're rooting against the bears uh but uh yeah so the fact that I can't root against my team means I'm le- I'm lesser of a fan. To me, is ridiculous.
1: I would agree. I, I totally would agree. I mean, you could have Chase Young a few years ago if if Daniel Jones didn't pull that miracle out of, out of his uh, you know what against the four uh, yeah. against the football yeah. team and yeah. Giants could use a pass rusher. You know, you would yep. say. Uh, so you want Joe Judge gone as well? Oh, your boy. Oh, that only gets easier if they lose. Yeah, look, I
2: look. You have to watch every Giant game, and I'm not suggesting people have it, but you have to watch every Giant game. To really get a feel for the type of coach that he is. Now, look, nobody was going to be successful with this roster. So that's that's not fair to him. But from the timeouts to the challenges, et cetera, et cetera. Fourth et cetera, down, punting
1: on fourth and one in opponent territory. is too conservative.
2: He is just, it was a bad hire. And uh, we, Art Howe <laughs> uh, was the Mets' nice guy manager. And then they went to uh, to a hard Willie. nose. And then they went back to a nice guy. This is going to be a situation where the Giants are going to hire a veteran coach. I believe that because the first-time head coaches with Joe Judge uh, and and such, not going to work. I think the Giants go back to a veteran coach, one with uh, lots of experience.
1: Pat Shermer was an... he was a coach, head coach of the Browns? Yeah,
2: he was. He was a coach of the Browns, was he not?
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I was going to say, it was McAdoo, first time. Shermer had like... But he didn't last too long in Cleveland. No, and then was, he's not a head coach. Yeah, Joe Judge, your boy. How about Doug Peterson? That'd be a name. I don't know if you would want to go. He has other some How about suitors. Jim but... Harbaugh? Jim Are you in for Jim Harbaugh?
2: I'll tell you why I am. Okay. Because I don't want Judge. <laughs> and that's it. And I think if they don't hire someone like Jim Harbaugh... They're going to keep Judge. And uh, I'd rather see Harbaugh than Judge. Although, um, the, can you see the Giants shelling out $80 million or $70 no. million dollars for Harbaugh?
1: After I'm paying a sh- GM?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. Sh- I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'd rather have Harbaugh than Judge, uh, but I'm not sure it's the perfect fit.
1: I would agree, and I'd also agree with your analysis that I don't think the Giants would pony up to uh, to get Jim Harbaugh away from Michigan or even away from the Raiders or the Bears or another team that could be interested in his services. Right. Good times for the Giants. My goodness. Jayster, thanks for coming on, man. This is a lot of fun. It's good seeing you.
2: You are looking well, and I hope that uh, at some point in the near future we can get on uh, here and do some hockey picks.
1: Hockey picks? Yes, sir. Isles. RangersTown. <laughs> Rangers well, play next in
2: April. Uh, look, uh, we'll come back
1: on. That's true. They're playing their 10th game of the year. We'll right. break that down. Right. Jay, thanks for coming on, man. This is a lot of fun. Thanks,
2: buddy. You are I the man. appreciate
1: it. The great Jay Berman right there joined us for some Hickey's Pickies. We appreciate him coming on. That'll do it for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show. We really do appreciate everyone who tuned in and made us a part of your Thursday evening. Or Thursday. What am I talking about? Thursday morning. I'm already losing my mind. See, this is as I told you. We bring Jay on to be a smart guy. I am not a smart guy. Don't even know what time it is. It is the morning. We appreciate you starting your morning with us on the World Wide Sports Network. Enjoy week 18. We will be back to get all of the playoff reaction, head coach firings, who's going to stay. we got a national title game to talk about as well. Monday is going to be a jam-packed and loaded show. I can't wait. So have a great weekend. As always, stay safe, stay sane, and we'll talk to you on Monday right here on the World Wide Sports Radio Network.
0: It is it, the World Wide Sports Radio Network.